verse is, is this call back to value, call back to how important God is, a recommitment to faithfulness. And listen to what he says. I have chosen, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. You were not born faithful. You, when you became a believer, you weren't all of a sudden immediately born, reborn, faithful. We choose to be faithful. There will be a lot of pressure our way to not be faithful to who Christ is, the gospel, and the way of kingdom living. There is a plenty of distractions and plenty of temptation to not be faithful. The psalmist says, I choose to be faithful. And listen to the second part. I set, I set your rules before me. These are intentional actions. They are almost like this is, what, this is what my rhythm is going to be. This is going to be my discipline that I do. I set your rules before me, meaning I will be obedient, and I will choose to be faithful in your word, God. This is what the disciples are going to be faced with. This is what every disciple of Christ is faced, faced with. Will we be faithful? Will we be obedient? I used to get a little bit bothered when I would hear some of the, not bothered, but I just felt like it was too close to like a militant type of instruction. Paul uses this language a little bit when he writes about being like almost like a, a soldier for Christ in a way. Like, like he uses language that they would use for the military. And I'd be like, oh, that can be a little confusing, but really I, I have grown to become more appreciative of it. There's something I really respect about the military is you hear this thing when they would say, I'm just, I'm following orders. Well, why? Well, I don't question those orders. I'm following the orders. Now, I know that's the military and that's a man-made, you know, organization. But when it comes to our faith, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the way God is leading the church, God has given orders, if you will. And we have to say, I'm following orders. I, I, I almost like that now when Paul uses that language. It doesn't question. It is obedient. It is faithful. It will execute the order. I think when you begin to, to, to I think, ignore the orders, ignore the leading and calling of the Holy Spirit, we will find ourselves in waters we don't want to be in in a lukewarm type of way. These disciples, though, so let me make this clear. These disciples have earthly authorities that are going to tell them to do something, and they are not going to do it. This is not preaching rebellion against authority. The Bible says to really respect those in authority over you. But there is one authority, the authority, not the authorities. This is the authority that says to do something very specific, which is do not silence the gospel. And when authorities want to take the gospel from your mouth or actions in a public square or in your own personal life, this is the only time I see that oppression happening in the public square or their personal life, they do not obey the authorities. This doesn't mean disobey all authorities. This means in the public square and in your own personal life, the gospel should not be muzzled on your mouth. 
It's important. And these disciples model this so, so well. So let me read this. Acts chapter 12, or 5, starting in verse 12. We're going to see the church. We're going to see this beautiful summary here. And the church is on the move. It's on a mission. You can see the momentum happening. They had just gotten out of jail. They had just been on uh, trumped up charges. And they've been released. And the church is thriving right now. And you can feel it in the momentum of this verse. Verse 11, or verse 12. Not many si- or now many signs and wonders were frequently done among the people by the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's portico. Solomon's portico was basically the first temple that was demolished. There was a few pillars and columns left or foundations. And so they rebuilt this portico over it. They call it Solomon's portico. Thousands of people could gather there and that was their place of choice. It says, none of the rest dared to join them. Now we know this from Ananias and Sapphira. This was not a movement that should be half-heartedly done. But the people held them in high esteem. And this is important because it's the people's view of them is that what rocks the authorities so much. And then more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they uh, even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick into those, uh, those afflicted uh, with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. What do you hear happening in this summary? This is a wonderful movement that's happening. We see signs and wonders that are happening that validate the preaching of the gospel. We see here, we see hesitation to join the church because this isn't a fad church to join. There's not, this isn't the church full of cool people where you just go and hopefully you can kind of meet a couple nice people. This is not the case. This is a serious church. They're not messing around. God definitely isn't. And and we see that they were respected by the way they're living by the Spirit. They lived pure. They lived holy. They lived full of the power of the Spirit. They lived passionately. And the people could only respect it. It was turning the tide of something here. We see that they believed. You know, in antiquity, what was a common belief in, in many different cultures, not just their culture is that the parents would often, if there was a great man teaching, they would put their children in the shadow of the great teacher, hoping that the shadow would at least give some of the presence of them. It was a big superstition. And if somebody was evil or corrupt, the, kid, the parents would literally pull their child away from them, from the shadow. They didn't want them in the shadow. So even in a superstition, their faith is so high that they say, if I can just get... get, get, get In the shadow of Peter, I'll be healed. We see the elevation of their faith extraordinarily high. And really what we see is the gospels leaving the city of Jerusalem. This is problematic for the authorities. It is beginning to spread. I feel probably at this time the whole city is talking about this. They're they're, they're shaking the city city at its foundations. The church is taking root, and the church is on the move. And this is all through the work of the Spirit. Listen, 
we, we, we can't change the world in our own strength. These people, they didn't have children's programs. They didn't have big, beautiful buildings. They didn't, they didn't have all these wonderful programs. They didn't have that. They just had the power of the Spirit, and that is what was changing the entire city, was their trust and faith in God. So one of my first themes I recognized right away when I was studying this was they were definitely willing and they were definitely ready. I think for a lot of us, I think we would maybe feel that we're willing, but when are we ready? I'd always say that I always want to be a yes man for God and, and, and I want him to be able to count on me. So if I feel, and, and I see somebody who I feel like God's feeling like you should really speak to them. I've been working on them, and they're ready for a messenger to bring them good news. If you're ready, I'll send you. I never want to be in the position, I've said this before, I don't want any of us ever to be in a position where God's like, no, 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 I don't think you're going to do what I need you to do. I'm going to choose John. John's ready. We want to be ready for what God has for us, to be able to share the gospel wherever we can. And I will say this, we should never shy back for pressure on the gospel. You only press forward. It's just evident throughout Scripture. We need to hear it real strong today. Never shy back. I don't apologize for my relationship with Jesus. I don't apologize for my faith. Don't apologize for your faith. These disciples did not apologize. They were bold. They were willing. They were ready. They were proud. Acts 5, 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, we talked about that a few days ago. And remember the Sadducees, they didn't believe in miracles, and they're seeing them happen. They didn't believe in angels. We're going to see this in a minute. And they didn't believe in the resurrection. So all it's, a, it's like a triple threat to their beliefs. And they were filled with jealousy, the Bible says. They're, they're jealous. Not like a boyfriend, girlfriend jealous. They're jealous in a way of seeing God do something that they are not a part of and it's impacting the people, but they cannot bring themselves to be there. They're jealous in a way of they're feeling threatened by what God is doing. And so they arrested the apostles, all of them, not just two, all of them. They wanted to end it and finish it all off. And they arrested them, put them in a public prison, which wasn't a very great place. It says, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, here's the most important part. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So whenever I'm reading scripture... I will try to really, some things just really stand out. And if an angel gives them a very specific instruction to do, an angel, by the way, of which Jesus deployed to take direct intervention and action to continue the preaching of the gospel. And what does he tell them to do? We always must listen to these things. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. The temple is where you would go and have interaction and connection with God. The temple is the place where you would go and correct your behavior. The temple was the place you would actually go and have life with God. It was the center of their life. So go to the temple and preach the gospel. 
Something's shifting here in a very, very big way. I, I want to read two scriptures I think are really important to read. One's in Jeremiah, which is in the Old Testament, and it really lines up with this verse very, very well. Jeremiah is correcting the people, and he's telling them they need to get their life right. And this is very much what's happening in this scripture. The disciples are really telling the people that they need to get their life right. So Jeremiah 7.1, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, he said to stand in the gate of the Lord's house. Proclaim, proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Lest says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds. I will let you dwell in this place. This is what they're doing. They're going out calling for repentance, saying that there is salvation and that Christ has made a way. And that he is the connection with our Father. And we must change. We must repent. We must turn. John 10.10 10 says this. Jesus himself, the thief, comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. But I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. Jesus is saying, listen, what I offer you is life. And it's life abundantly. And so when the angel tells them, go and speak about this life. I, I think being a believer isn't just living a happy life. It is living a life to its fullest, abundantly, in faith. I was reading the other day that, uh, in a book about discipleship in a series that we'll teach uh, maybe next year. And it was fascinating because they, it was, the person made a statement in this book. They said, listen, when you share your faith with someone, there is nothing more exhilarating to you spiritually when someone is hearing and receiving your testimony. It, it builds your faith. It builds your boldness. And this is what's happening here. And Jesus says there's a life that you can experience when you are living life according to him. And really what's happening here, the disciples are preaching this life is this, is that there is life alive in Christ or there is death in sin. And you will not live. You will not experience abundant life. This is why it was so important for these disciples. I was watching this documentary the other day about a guy who... Uh, bought these uh, drugs that would help HIV patients and took the price from $13 a pill to $750 and how hated this person was because he was withholding something that could help so many people. And it, it, it was really hard to just, I, I think, to see. People were begging him to lower these prices. And I just think, what would we do when we have this truth, this abundant life, this, this life from death, Right? We can help someone see the life that they could have. Why would we hold it? Why would you withhold it? I say this in, in these really strong ways because I think these disciples are just absolutely sold out to that no one should be withheld from the truth of the gospel. No matter what and no matter what it costs them. Verse 21. And they heard, when they heard this, right? We're talking about the angel telling them to go. They entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. 
They didn't hesitate. They didn't say, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on, right? You know, like they were nervous. But they, they went forward and they did it. Billy Graham said this really great quote I really liked. He said, courage is contagious. And when brave men take a stand, the spines of others often stiffen up. And this is what's happening within the community of this church. I pray that this happens within our community more and more. When we take a stand, other people feel emboldened also to take a stand. These disciples are setting the stage for what we see walk out in Acts that causes the church to explode. It took trust to go back. I don't even know what that conversation would look like. I know there had to have been someone who was like, I, I, guys, this is a bad idea. I mean, right back where we were? But they did it. They went right back where they were. They were boldness as the model of, of the church. Now let's go on, finish 21. It says, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate and the people of Israel. Ooh, do you know what this means? This means they call together the president, the vice president, the Supreme Court, Congress, and the whole Senate. And they're ready to have a trial. They were waiting for this moment. They wanted these guys gone. And they wanted to remove them. And they knew they could get a conviction. And here's what's funny. And I think this is quite comical. Because all the plans of mankind, they fall empty at what God is accomplishing through his work. No matter what you fear or face, they fall short of what God has got planned. And these few disciples trusted more in God's plan than the entire weight of the government coming down on them, and they did not worry. They didn't worry one bit. So here's what happens. They're all gathered together. They're ready for this great, huge trial of which they already know the conviction it says, but when the officers came, they didn't find him in the prison. So they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked, guarded, a guard standing at the door. But when they opened it, they found no one inside. How in the world could you get 12 people out of this prison? What happened? And now when the captain of the guard of the temple and the chief, and the chief priests heard the words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this could come to. They weren't perplexed as in, wow, God, you're amazing. They were perplexed because this is a problem. A, if they're disappeared, they're going to come looking for us because the whole city's for them. Or B, if they are out, out and about, we're going to have more trouble on our hand. This was not a good look for the temple crew. This would be like having a verdict and everyone has come in. The trial has been done. And they're ready to read the verdict, the jury's verdict. And they get ready to bring in the defendant. And they're like, oh, the defendant's gone. I mean, this is like a gasp moment here. All the powers of their people, of their authorities, go out in a fizzle. I think Luke is putting this in here for a reason. Luke is letting the church know that God is more powerful than the plans of man. God will make a way where there is no way. God is greater than this. 
whatever situation they'd be facing. Verse 25, and some came and told, look, (laughs) the men you put in the prison are standing in the temple and they're teaching the people. Some of the guys might have been like, wow, that's, that's bold. That's real bold. I, we have a little dog. He's a Pomeranian. And these, my Pomeranian reminds me of the disciples' mentality. He's got fleas. We're trying to get rid of his fleas. It's a nightmare. And we can't. But he loves sleeping in our room. And he, he is the sneakiest little guy and he looks sweet on the inside, but I feel he might be possessed. And he, he, he comes up to our door, and then he itches all night, so it just sounds like thumper all night. Like, I'm like, oh, I can't do this. So I put him outside the door, and then as soon as I get ready to close the door, he'll sneak right back in, and he's right back in there. Or if one of the kids opens the doors to talk to us, he runs right back in, and he hides under the desk and hopes we don't see him. Then I hear the thuds, and I'm like, oh, you're in here. i got to get him out. Stop. They will not give up. It doesn't matter. They just go right back. They go right back. This is the way the church must operate. They didn't run. They didn't flee to another city. They, they, they went right back. Verse 26, Then the captain, of the, uh, captain with the officers went up and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. For you modern people, it was with picking up a stone and throwing it, not the other stoned, but they were ready to kill them. There was a few reasons you could kill someone by stoning legally to them. It wasn't legal under Rome. You had to do it in secret, and which would have happened. But you could do it for blasphemy against God, and you could do it for a a misrepresentation of a witness in a capital murder trial. And they had both going for them. So they knew they had to walk carefully here because the people would have not hesitated to even kill the leaders. So they had a real political issue happening to them. And the apostles, they, at that moment, what, what we don't sometimes always read within the scripture, and we're wondering, why were they so furious? Why were they having such a difficult time? Why did they just let them do what they do? Because what was happening in the city was the spiritual leadership of Israel was changing right in front of their eyes. A revolution was happening right in front of their eyes. And they were going to deploy everything they could to stop it. And so this is why this becomes such a problem. Because the people were now looking at these disciples as the spiritual leaders of Israel. It was real time happening right there. you got to hear this part right here. Verse 27. And when they had brought them, they grabbed them, obviously, brought them back in. They set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in that name. Yet, here, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Who is that man? This horrific miscarriage of justice against Jesus. And they think, and this is the greatest mistake, and this is why I think they missed the Messiah, they think, Jesus was, they think these disciples are bringing a political issue, a usurping of authority issue to them, a taking over a position issue. This is not a political issue happening. And this is, I think, why they missed it. They, they're bringing a theological issue. They're not fighting for power. They're fighting for how we view God, who God is. 
They're missing it. And I think this is ultimately why they missed the Messiah when Jesus was in front of them. And they're missing the move of the church because they see this as a power struggle, not a theological issue. The disciples want to, don't want to rule Israel. Acts 5.29, and we'll start to wrap up in a little bit. They said this. They charged saying, hey, you're trying to bring a, a, a political issue against us. And they say, oh, no. Verse 29, we must obey God rather than basically you. Now, the sermon prior, they said, would you rather have us obey God or man? But this is different. We obey God, not man. Now, they knew this one statement was a quick death or a slow death in prison. They didn't keep people locked up for 30 years there. They slowly starved them to death and they died. So this was going somewhere really bad. I read this in a commentary I really, really liked. And, and, and I want to read it to you. It says, the courage of one's core convictions is the substance of which heroes are made. Whew. That's good. That's so true. It's the core convictions. To follow those core convictions, that's how heroes are made. And we have to stick to them. And these disciples stick to them. They're following God. They're not following man. Listen to James 1.22. It says this. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And so they're dealing with it later in the church. Be doers of the word, not just hearers. Like you must follow your core convictions and act on them. Or you'll deceive yourself. Luke 4, 6, Jesus himself said this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? You say, I'm Lord? Why don't you do what I, what I tell you? They were obedient and they were faithful. And this is what the church must be. All of us in here have to take a deep, deep look into are we obedient and are we faithful? And do, are we ready and are we willing? Ready and willing to go. These disciples set a fantastic foundation for the church to follow. Verse 30, it says, then they start to kind of preach a little message at them with some deep conviction. It says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed and hung on a tree. Now, when Deuteronomy says, when someone has so wrongfully uh, uh, been an offense to God, they should die and they should hang on a tree. And so he's saying, you thought it was appropriate that Jesus was so offensive that he should die and hang on a tree. It was your choice to walk that out. Verse 31, God exalted him at the right hand as leader. Now, who is he speaking to? Leaders. He's saying, he's in, you're out. <laughs> That's essentially what he's saying. And Savior. These are the first two times they're mentioned in sermons so far. Leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Remember, they tried to kill Jesus the first time for saying he could forgive sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him, and they have heard enough. And so they begin to try to kill them. But something amazing happens. I can't quite figure out this character. This man's name is uh, Gamaliel. He was the Apostle Paul when he was Saul, his mentor, his spiritual leader. Gamaliel is, is probably the most prominent, most important voice 
in, of all the Jewish people at that time. In Israel at that time, when he said something, it mattered. And he's in this court. Now, you can't forget that Gamaliel was part of the court that convicted Jesus to crucify him. But Gamaliel is here. And he's a little bit on the liberal side of his theology. And he's wise, and he's older, and his voice matters. So I don't know if God directed him, or if he just didn't really know this would play out the way it was going to play out. But he stands up and he says, whoa, 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 whoa. If this is of God, let it happen. We've seen it happen before. People rise up, say they're Messiah, they die. If this is, they die and the, and the movement goes away. If this is of God, let it play out. And if it's of God, this is what he says very strong, then who are we to resist it? Would we dare to resist it? I don't know his full intentions, but I know that this conversation probably comes because Paul, Saul, was sitting right here. Now, Saul was a little bit more radical and zealous than Gamaliel. This is why he persecuted the church. Gamaliel just said, let's, let's let this play out. Let's see what happens here. And so they bring them back in. They rough them up a little bit. They make sure they give them bruises to remember not to speak in that name. And then verse 41, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Tertullian is a second century church father. And he was in a time of persecution when it was the greatest under the Roman Empire. And this is what he said. He said, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. And this is what these disciples are celebrating. that we're, We count it worthy that, that we were persecuted. They will all be martyrs soon. But we count it worthy that we were persecuted. And if the second century church father, under the greatest persecution the church had ever really seen, on a massive scale, says the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. They were willing to die for their faith. I was reading a study from Gordon Conwell Seminary, and they said in their rough estimate, about 100,000 people die a year for their belief in Christ. I think that's interesting. We, we tend to not think about that. That 100,000 people are dying for their faith every single year around this globe, just like these disciples will. I don't think in America, right, we're not going to feel the level of persecution like that. We have been founded on a lot of values that came out of the church. But that changes. I, I, I think there might be a day where we will feel persecution in a real heavy way, maybe more than we ever have. And who will you be? There's 100,000 people dying for their faith, and they're not dying because they're staying quiet. So persecution comes. These disciples said, I count it worthy that I would even suffer dishonor for that name. 42. Every day. <laughs> Dudes are bold. In the temple. Every day. Back to the temple. From house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the, that the Christ is Jesus. They were fanatics. I think God requires fanatics. 
I don't mean crazies. I mean fanatics. I was listening to Winston Churchill describe fanatics. I don't know if you've ever heard him say this, but he said a fanatic is someone who won't change their mind and they won't change the subject. That's a fanatic. I really like that. I'm a little bit like that on some things. I better cool it. Wow. But on our faith, we don't change our mind and we don't change the subject. We're fanatical for who Christ is and what he's done in our life. You experience the living joy of Christ in your life, the abundant life right now, every single day in your life. Be fanatical about it. The pressure is going to come. It's always going to come. It's going to come from all sides. But be fanatical about it. And I, I, I have to wrap up because I can't finish this whole last point here. I'll bring it to next week. So you'll just have to come next week because it's even better than what we just talked about. You will be happy. And it will be very relatable to you because when we are willing and we are ready and we are preaching, the number one thing we're supposed to do is to share the gospel. We see another problem that comes their way that is actually very relevant to all of us here. And we'll cover that next week. So let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you. God, I thank you that you, you've given us these examples of these disciples who are stepping out in faith. They were changing an entire city, not with great words, not with beautiful, big uh, 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 programs. They weren't changing it with force. They were just changing it through the power of the Spirit. They were preaching the Word, God, and you were convicting the hearts, and you were transforming their lives and bringing them into the church. And God, I just thank you for that model. God, help us as a church and as believers be more bold about our faith. God, and I know this is true. The darker the world and the times feel like they're around us, the brighter our light burns. But if we don't cover it up, if we let it shine. And so, God, there are many of us in this room in many moments when we might be willing, but we don't know if we're ready. Or we say we might be ready, but we don't know if we're really willing, God. God, I ask that these disciples, this example, maybe even reading this scripture in a way that the Holy Spirit is working on our heart through it. That we can walk out and be proud that we're bold for our faith. Not afraid. God, that we stand tall for our faith. Even in the midst of great opposition. And that we can count any suffering that comes our way as joy because we stand for your name. The name above every name that every knee will bow to and every tongue will confess is the Messiah. So God, we stand for your name. Jesus, we stand for your name. And we ask that the Holy Spirit empowers us for boldness. Now is not the time to be weak, but God, that we stand in your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stay with me this last song?